Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here, and on this week's show I'm doing a solo episode, this time discussing the characteristics of a successful logo. But before we get into that, I want to thank FreshBooks who have sponsored this episode. FreshBooks is a cloud-based accounting software that allows you to create professional invoices in as little as 30 seconds, branded with your own logo and color scheme. A feature that I really like is that when you send your invoice through FreshBooks, you'll know when your clients have seen that invoice, and if they don't pay, it will send automatic follow-up emails, meaning that you don't need to keep checking in and chasing your clients. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial. To claim that, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek and be sure to enter Logo Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So on this week's podcast, I want to spend some time discussing what I feel makes a logo design successful. But before I go into this, I want to throw in the caveat that by doing the guidelines that I've laid out in this podcast, it doesn't automatically make a business successful by having a logo that's successful. As Paul Rand said in his book, Design, Form and Chaos, a logo derives its meaning from the quality of the thing it symbolizes, not the other way around. Before a design is used as a logo or trademark, it's merely an abstract shape or image. It's an empty vessel from day one and it's through association with an organization, a brand, a product or person that it gains any meaning. So if the business is deemed as unsuccessful, it's easy for the logo of that business to carry all the associations that you you make of that business. So It's easy for anyone, even us designers, to assume that that logo is unsuccessful too. It's near impossible not to see those associations. It's why so many of us love the Nike and Apple logo, because the business behind them is incredibly successful. I find you only need to take one look at the swatch sticker to understand what I mean. One look at that and you immediately think of Nazi Germany. For some people, it brings up fear and sadness, but the logo itself carries all the characteristics of what I would describe as a successful logo design. And it's those characteristics that I want to focus on today. Another thing I also want to address is the role of a logo. So the primary goal of a logo is to identify. This means a logo could actually ignore all the typical characteristics of a successful logo design, but still allow the business to succeed. Providing a logo is used consistently, people will still be able to identify the brand through that logo. That doesn't mean that you can dismiss these characteristics that make logo design successful, but it does mean that they are not set in stone rules. Other than it being identifiable, there are no rules in logo design. There's a large number of logo designs that have been around for around 100 years and some of them have a timeless quality to them. But there are some of them that also look dated, but it's it's those examples that were designed 50 years plus back that, that we can learn a lot from. 
if they look good 50 years ago and they still look good today, they are likely to be still just as effective and just as contemporary in the next 50 years or 100 years time because they have that timeless quality to them. These designs are useful to study to understand what it is that's allowed them to work so well. And we can see from them the characteristics that have made those logos remain successful over time. By understanding what those characteristics are, you can make informed decisions during the design phase if you want to move away from them if it seems appropriate to do so. So the characteristics I'm going to speak about today can be used as guidelines, but for the reasons I'll explain, these are the principles I personally follow when I work on a logo design in order to provide my clients with a solution that I believe will be successful for them over a long period of time. So the characteristics that I want to discuss today are simplicity, differentiation, relevancy, memorability, scalability, versatility, legibility, and quality of execution. So let's dive into each of these in more detail. So the first I want to discuss is simplicity. If you was to look at the logos of the top 100 most successful firms in the world at the moment, you will see that they all have logos that are simple. There's a few exceptions, but most use one or two colors, as well as simple shapes and simple forms. Also, if you look at companies that are redesigned their logos over the years, you'll see that in every single scenario, the logo has become more simplified and refined over time. There's some great books out there that show this, such as Logo Life and TM, the untold stories behind 29 classic logos. Both of these are fantastic books that I'd highly recommend reading, especially if you love logo design and also if you'd like to know how logos have evolved over time and these stories behind them too. Like I said, they're both fantastic books that I can highly recommend. So based on this alone, we can safely say that there is a very strong business argument for a logo design to be simple. But as designers, let's try to better understand why this is the case. I want to once again quote from Paul Rand. He said, a design that is complex, fussy or obscure harbors a self-destructive mechanism. No amount of literal illustration will do what most people imagine it will do. This will only make identification more difficult and the message more obscure. A logo primarily says who, not what, and that is its function. So to focus on one point of that, a busy logo makes identification more difficult. As I mentioned already, as identification is the key role of a logo, then we need to take this seriously. A logo that's simple allows you to quickly remember it and to identify it when you see it again. I personally believe that simple means that the logo should contain only what's needed. And I'd argue to do that, a logo should contain only one idea. 
To help explain what I mean, there was a logo for a vet that was posted in the Logo Geek community a few months ago that include a number of features. It was for a company called something along the lines of Cat and Dog. And in this example, the C was starred to look like a cat and the D was starred to look like a dog. And the designer also took it further by adding paw shapes to each of the letters. This meant that the logo contained three ideas, a cat icon, a dog icon, and paw-based typography. This is too many visual ideas for people to easily process and understand. We should aim to take the strongest of these three ideas and then keep the rest of the design relatively simple. By doing that, you end up with a logo that has one key feature that's recognizable, one key feature that makes the business identifiable, and one key feature for people to remember. Any more ideas is essentially visual clutter. They're all great ideas on their own, but combined it dilutes the design to something less effective. You'll also find by simplifying the design like that to one key idea that the logo design itself will also look a lot more professional as a result. I want to also point out that simplicity doesn't necessarily mean minimal. There's a trend that's been popular the last few years in the logo design space for ultra minimal logos. And I actually believe it's the result of designers being taught that a logo should be simple and they've taken this information and taken it literally. To expand what I mean by this, I'd argue that in order to give the right aesthetic, there are some industries and some situations that will require the extra bit of detail to give the right look and feel. The logo might need some kind of illustrative feel or it might need um, some element of aesthetics to give it a little bit of character. Not too much or not too little, just the right amount that's needed to get the appropriate aesthetic for the situation. For example, and this is quite an extreme example, but in the music industry, if you look at the Guns N' Roses logo, Whilst it's quite a busy logo, it still contains one key idea, which is guns wrapped in roses. The illustration style this logo uses is also consistent with the aesthetic of rock music. And I think if it was simplified down much more, it wouldn't have the right feel to it for that particular industry. In that case, you also need to consider its use too. Something like the Guns N' Roses logo in the time was designed only really to ever be seen on album covers and t-shirts. So you can get away with a lot more extra detail in that situation. I just wanted to point that out that, you know, the one core idea still remains relatively simple. And even though it's quite a busy example, like I said, it's a good example to help understand why you don't always need to have a minimal logo to have a logo that remains simple. The next characteristic I want to discuss is differentiation. I did a quick Google search and I found that there's over 1.5 million significant brands in the world, which is a crazy number. 
That means that every single time you shop for anything, you have hundreds or even thousands of different potential products fighting for your attention. Branding is the only thing that helps us to separate one from the other. It helps you to know which one to trust. And it's the identity designed for those brands that allows us to identify the one we want to buy. And the logo is a key part of that. In order to separate and identify one company from another, the design needs to be distinct. It needs to be immediately recognizable and not look like anything else in the landscape that it's seen in. This means that as designers, we need to understand the competitive landscape that the company will be compared with. And that's why research is so important. The worst thing you can do is unintentionally design an identity that will be confused with another competing brand. It would just make them look like they're trying to capitalize on the success of a well-established brand. And that's what I think anytime I see a red can of cola that's not Coca-Cola. And that's going to be bad for business. A company must own their brand identity. In order to give your client's company or product the greatest chance of success, the logo and identity should be sufficiently different from its competition in order for people to quickly and easily recognize and remember it. That's why differentiation is so important. When we are talking about differentiation, it's important to remember that the logo is one small piece of the overall brand identity. So you don't need to create something entirely original for the logo alone. It just needs to be sufficiently unique when compared with a direct competitor. It's the surrounding identity such as the packaging design or the bottle shape or the color combinations used, the image style, the fonts and so on that will make the most impact. The logo is simply the tip of the iceberg in this situation. The next area I want to discuss is relevancy. We just discussed differentiation and whilst it's important to be different, you don't want to take things too far to the point that you're too different. You need to make sure the logo you create sits comfortably in the field or niche it operates in. We're all born into a visual world and human beings have developed complex cultures over time and we created a wide range of objects to assist us with communication. As we grow as children, we learn what these things are and we begin to associate specific fonts with specific situations, specific colors with specific things. It's the same for shapes too. We've collectively created these visual associations and that's information we as designers can use and should use to our advantage. To better understand what I mean, a really basic example of this is color. Pink, for example, is commonly used as a girl's color and blue is commonly used as a boy's color. In reality, colors don't really have any meaning. It's simply that all of us have been taught from a young age that boy and girl's colors is a thing. And, and that's the same with what we wear as well. History has impacted everything that we do. Fonts, for example, are simply shapes that we created at some point to help communicate. 
So why is it then that we associate serif typefaces with more serious organizations or soft squishy fonts with children's brands? It's the same as the pink and blue example I mentioned. We are taught all of this from a young age, mostly subconsciously, that certain shapes, colors, and objects are used in conjunction with certain businesses and situations. This falls into the world of brand identity design too. If, say, for example, you're a bank, there's a certain aesthetic that people will expect to see. And if you break too far away from that expectation, it will likely cause a loss of trust. This applies to every industry. There's an expected aesthetic that we expect to see in each industry. And if you was to do something completely different from that, it would actually cause a lot of confusion. So whilst you want the logo to look different, you don't want it to look too different. As a designer, you need to understand what these aesthetics are for the industry you're working in. That's the type of thing that you can pull from your own personal experiences, but you can also research existing logos and brand identities too to establish a better understanding of what these are. Research is particularly key when you're targeting a country or culture that you're not familiar with. As I mentioned, we are born into a world where we are taught visual associations. That's information that's often learned on a subconscious level, and it would be different all around the world. So make sure you don't assume that what you know is correct for everybody, as your assumptions are based on the culture that you grew up in. As a high-level example, I have a book called Colorworks. There's a section in that book that explains the cultural significance of color around the world. So, for example, it shows that purple in Iran symbolizes the future. But in Latin America, that exact same color is associated with death. This same level of understanding will also apply to fonts, shapes, and colors too. So be sure to do your research or stick to working on companies that target the same culture that you've been born into and understand, which is what I personally prefer to do myself. I just want to take a short break to thank FreshBooks who have sponsored this episode. As creatives, we like to spend our time designing logos and brand identities, but a lot of us spend more time than we'd like doing admin work, like creating invoices, chasing payments, logging expenses. And that's where FreshBooks can help you. It's an accounting software designed for creative professionals that will save you time. For example, you can create branded, professional-looking invoices in as little as 30 seconds. You can set up credit card payments right from those invoices too, meaning that your clients can pay faster. And when it comes around to tax time, you can export out tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with an accountant really simple. Right now, I'm offering listeners of the Logo Geek podcast a free 30-day trial. To claim that, just head to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek, making sure to enter Logo Geek in How Did You Hear About a section. The next characteristic I want to discuss is memorability, which means that you need to aim to design a logo that people remember. 
Some of the points we've already discussed will help to ensure you design a memorable logo, but I think it's worth bringing them up once again. Firstly, people remember simple shapes faster. So again, this is a key reason why a logo should be simple and contain just one idea as we've discussed already. Secondly, if the logo is distinct, it will also assist with memorability. So understanding the competitive landscape will allow you to create a logo that not only stands out from the competition, but will also be remembered too. When it comes to memorability, color also plays a vital role in the recognition of a brand identity. A few years back, a Brazilian graphic designer, Paula Rapolo, swapped the color schemes of competing brands. A few other designers have done similar things since, but what I love about those examples, which I'll link to in the show notes, is how you recognize a brand's color scheme even when it's applied to the logo of a competing brand. It also really changes the overall feel of each logo too, showing the real power of color. It's definitely worth checking those out if you can, so I'll include them in the show notes so that you can check them out. There's plenty of other ways to make a logo memorable too. For example, including something a bit unusual, such as some kind of treatment to the typography, or the way that you use negative space. There's endless potential uh, solutions, and that's one of the fun parts of logo design. Another important characteristic of a successful logo is scalability, and I feel this is actually one of the most important on the list. We live in a world where the logo that you create will be seen in places such as social media and favicons where the logo will be incredibly small. But at the same time, that same logo also needs to be seen on the side of vehicles, storefronts, buildings. So the logo design that you create needs to work just as effectively at eight millimeters as it does at eight meters. In some instances, such as jewelry or clothing, those sizes might need to be even smaller. Think, for example, some kind of engraving on the inside of a ring or on a, a, a zipper on clothing. So it's important to be able to identify the places where the logo that you're designing will be seen and used so that you can factor that in when you're working on that logo. Logos that scale well also happen to be those logos that are simple. So simplicity has come up once again. So when you're designing that logo, make sure that you zoom in and zoom out to ensure that the logo is legible at smaller sizes. It's also good practice to test your logo on mockups to ensure that it works effectively on real life applications from a distance to make sure that it's always legible and recognizable no matter what size that logo is. It's also worth noting that logos are no longer just one single static object. There's such things now as identity systems whereby companies have a series of identifiable icons rather than just one static logo. The most commonly known example of an identity system is the one from Google. 
whilst the word mark version of the Google logo is still legible at small sizes, it's not the perfect solution for a favicon or social media icon. And for that reason, rather than simply use, say, the G from the word mark, they've actually created an entirely separate symbol design, a letter G that includes the different colors from the main word mark. And that's created uh, a symbol that's still immediately recognizable as Google, but it's not the exact same thing as the main logo. Another feature of scalability to point out is that some companies actually have a, a different file for the logo at smaller sizes. So for example, a variant that works more effectively at really tiny sizes. So if you have a project where you know that that logo will be commonly used in small sizes, it might be worth creating an, an extra variant of that that works more effectively at those smaller sizes. The next characteristic I want to discuss is versatility. A successful logo will work effectively in a wide range of situations. Doing this ensures the logo will be immediately recognizable and look its very best no matter what size of the area is placed into or the color or material that is placed on. One way to achieve this is by having a variety of configurations which are best known as lockups. So for example, if the logo is a symbol with a supporting word mark, you might have a variant with the symbol to the left and another with the symbol above the word mark. If the company name is made up of multiple words, you might have variants where one is the forename on a single line of text, and you might have another where those words are stacked in some form. You will also want to consider background colors too. So for example, you might have the main logo that's used on a white background, but you might also want another of that same logo that's inverted so that it will work effectively on a darker color background too. You might also have a single color version, which I would normally provide as a solid black. And you might also have a white version too, to use on dark colored background. Something important to bear in mind with white versions is the design itself might need to be modified in order for the design to still work effectively and to look right when used on a black background. The current Premier League logo is actually a really great example to explain what I mean by this. If you look at the lion's head, if he was to invert that color, it will look like a negative where the eyes that should be black become white. So it doesn't look right. So what they've needed to do in this case for the logo when it's used on, on a dark colored background is to create an entirely different variant of that logo so that the eyes become part of the negative space, allowing them still to be black when the logo is used on a black background. I appreciate it's probably hard to visualize from my explanation, so I'll make sure to include an image of that within the show notes so that you can check that out for yourself. Another thing with white variants is when white on black is used, you get an optical illusion called a radiation phenomenon where the logo appears to be optically fatter 
than the black version on a white background. It's caused by the contrast in colors, so you need to optically adjust the design to accommodate for that illusion. There's no set way of doing this as it depends on the design and it needs to be adjusted optically, but offsetting the path slightly so it's visually uh, less weight tends to be the easiest way to fix that issue in, in most cases. The next characteristic is legibility. If you or anyone else cannot clearly work out what the company is called by looking at the logo that you've designed, you have a serious problem. It's quite common that I see designs where the first letter of the company name has been styled in some way to the point that it's no longer read as part of the word mark. This is something that must be avoided and it's the same for any letter within the word mark. Unless it's clearly legible by everybody, avoid doing that. If you want to have some kind of icon, have it as a separate component away from the main word mark. I've also seen letters replaced by shapes that's caused the word mark to be read as something else. For example, I've seen a logo recently where um, one of the letters was replaced by the pi symbol, which was meant to be the letter N, but most people read it as a double T or some people even read it as the pi sound. This is easy to do when you work in isolation. I've done it myself. So if you design something and you're unsure if it's clearly legible, it's worth asking other people if they can clearly read it. And if there's any doubt from anybody, it's worth revising your design accordingly because it can be a really costly mistake for your client if they have potential customers that cannot read what that company name should be. So I cannot stress this enough. If the company name is not clearly legible from the logo, then you have a serious issue and it's worth revising that design accordingly. The last characteristic on my list is a fairly obvious one. A successful logo is one that's been well executed. I frequently see logos that have a fantastic idea and has so much potential, but the way that they've been put together is not quite there. Something makes it feel slightly off and it causes it to look and feel slightly unprofessional. This can include things like the design being too busy, meaning it's not quite yet been simplified down as much as it could have been. Or it could be that the designer has attempted to create their own set of letters from scratch, but they're not quite perfect. So there's something about it that looks slightly unprofessional. It's why I tend to advise people to start from a well-designed font and to learn what it takes to design great fonts first before creating any letters from scratch. I can recommend the interview that I did with typography designer Adam Ladd to learn more about this and you can find that interview by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 6.3. Another thing could be, for example, poor color choice or simply using too many colors in that logo design. If you look at 
the top 100 most successful companies in the world. As I mentioned earlier, most of them just use one or two colors. So if you're using more than that, it's worth trying to reduce it down to give it more of a professional feel. It's also worth studying color theory if it's something that you struggle with. And as a starting point, I definitely check out the interview that I did with Greg Gunn a few months back, which you can find by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 6.7. But I find the most common thing that I tend to see is just slightly imperfect shapes, imperfect curves or inconsistent spacing in some way. And that's where using some kind of grid system can really help. Some designers are known to completely recreate a a design from scratch using circles, lines, and shapes with some kind of grid system to create absolutely flawless, perfect artwork. It's doing this type of thing that usually takes a, a pretty decent design to one that's absolutely flawless. Creating perfect, flawless well-executed artwork it's one of those things that can really make a difference for logo design so it's definitely a skill worth mastering so that's the characteristics I work towards when designing a logo and as a reminder they were simplicity differentiation relevancy memorability scalability versatility legibility and quality of execution if there's anything you would add to this list or anything that you disagree with i'd love to hear from you to discuss this further the best place to do that is in the logo geek community on facebook where you can chat with me and over 8,000 other logo designers from around the world it's totally free to join and to find it just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community or search on facebook for the logo geek community or if you'd like to join me and a small group of other designers on video hangouts every two weeks you can join logo geek plus it's a nice way to meet and get to know other designers face to face from around the world and to get some much needed motivation and support if you'd like to be part of that just head to community.logogeek.uk so that's it for this week i hope this solo episode was useful for you i'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the logo geek podcast 